Hello, welcome back to Movie Remake Time, a Filmmaker's Compass podcast, where we look at sequels, remakes, and reboots and ask the very simple question, who did it better? I'm CP, this is my awesome co-host D-Man, and I hope you're thrilled about this movie. I'm actually psyched. I got to go see it in the theater. I'm excited to talk about these two. Of course I'm thrilled. As usual, the excitement hopefully should be palpable. I'm really (laughs) excited. We do have two movies, one that actually hit theaters this week and is a soft kind of reboot slash sequel-ish. I'm not sure. Maybe we'll talk about it when we get to the story. I'm not sure exactly how it pans out. But this week, we are taking a look at the brand new The Suicide Squad, which is kind of a soft reboot of 2016's Suicide Squad. So this one's directed by James Gunn, the other one by David Ayer. Is it Ayer or Ayers? I thought it was Ayer. Sorry, David. Okay. Yeah, now that I think about it, I'm like, I can't remember. What's really fascinating about this is they've kind of rebooted the cast. They're changing the tone slightly, but they kept a lot of the same elements. There's actually some people from the original cast that are returning, and there's a few elements that they're drawing heavily from the comics. So I want to throw it over to you. What are your first impressions? It's really hard to talk about Suicide Squad and make a comparison unless we do acknowledge the missing air cut. This has been a thing, quote unquote, on social media for the last year and a half. Once fans realized the power of social media was enough to inspire Warner Brothers to release the Snyder Cut, they have been clamoring for the air cut as well. What really happened? David Ayer created the Suicide Squad. Apparently, it was something very close to his heart. It was looking at these characters in a much darker tone, more dramatic, uh, a real character study of this team of antiheroes as they go out and are forced to save the world, reckoning with their personal past. Mm -hmm. According to the original editor, it had a visual style and pacing, very similar, in fact, to Black Hawk Down, which is the opposite of what we got. After Warner Brothers released one of their preview trailers for the film, the audience loved it, and they said, hey, Ayer, we're kicking you aside and we are recutting it with the trailer editors to release what came out in 2016, something that was kind of a blend of Deadpool meets Guardians of the Galaxy. That trailer actually was a huge hit. It set the bar and expectations really high for the Suicide Squad. And I think people were really pumped for what we were going to get. The expectations, we can go ahead and say it, they just weren't met. When we're talking about David Ayer and this whole Ayer cut, it's worth acknowledging that Ayer himself came out in July of 2021, Mm -hmm. where he actually addressed this very thing. So now we know the Ayer cut is not just this mythological thing that fans want, and they want this better version of a movie. Just like with Snyder, once it was formally addressed, we know it's real. There really is another cut of the movie out there, some other vision that David Ayer had for the film. I don't know if Howard Social Media can move us to another Justice League style recut of the original Suicide Squad, but for the sake of this discussion today, it's worth acknowledging that all we have is a theatrical cut. We will be using that as our baseline to compare to this new The Suicide Squad. That's kind of how we'll frame the discussion today. What do you think? We just don't have that footage. We don't have it. Hopefully we will, because I would love to see it. A couple of the big stars from the original Suicide Squad have come out in support of the release. WB's towing the typical WB line, which is it's never coming out. But they told us that about the Snyder Cut. So keep hashtagging, release the air cut. I do every day and you should There you go. We did Okay, when we look at these movies, you know, we acknowledge right out the gate the kind of cultural impact of that first trailer. So when you look at the trailer for the new one, what was fascinating to me was the first trailer that was released was kind of a behind the scenes type trailer. What they were really leaning into was that they had hired James Gunn and they wanted to highlight the new cast. 
It's fascinating because this is an ensemble cast. They abandoned a majority of the cast, or at least maybe half of it from the first one. They kept Amanda, they kept Flag, they kept Harley um, Quinn. Harley Quinn. Captain and there Boomerang. Might have, yeah, Captain Boomerang. There was a couple other mentions at the beginning go out the window really quick, reminiscent of the G.I. Joe. Exactly. Re- yeah, where they have, um, what's his name, Hawk? Duke. And Duke. That's who it is. Yeah, not Hawk. Although Hawk didn't <laughs> appear in the sequel. Yeah, Dennis Quaid. Sorry. Duke. Yeah, ends up being in it for like the first like 10 minutes. And then they just kind of like, ah, whatever. You know, we're moving on with this new cast. And that's kind of what they did here with the exception of, like you said, those like three kind of main characters. When it comes to the cast, which cast do you think did it better? Tough question. I think the James Gunn cast is in a lot of ways rooted in more of the Suicide Squad from the comic books, at least from okay. the more recent comic books. But I do think it's funny. And James Gunn acknowledged it. The character of Bloodshot was originally written in the screenplay as Deathstroke. And they were expecting Will Smith to... I think we are messing up the names. It's Bloodsport and Deadshot, right? Did I just say that wrong? I probably did. (laughs) You did. You're going to have to rewind. Wow. We we are all over the place on names on this episode. That's pretty bad. Okay, right? Am I I wrong? Yeah, Bloodshot is the the Vin Diesel comic book movie. So you're right. Okay. It's Bloodsport. (laughs) I want to... Let's make sure while we move forward, we got got the name. So Bloodsport and Deadshot. But what's I ironic is they really are just like the same character different actor they both have issues with their daughters they're Mm -hmm. both extremely accurate and take offense to anyone that questions their ability to be accurate they're looking for sort of redemption arc can they kind of be the good guy and so they really are pretty similar right they're not necessarily taking the cast then in a whole different direction they've just kind of switched it up there I'll acknowledge if you like Margot Robbie's take on Harley Quinn, you're in luck. I kind of feel like the more I watch her, the less I like the take. I'm not enjoying it. I don't know. How do you feel about her performance? In both the Suicide Squad movies, she's better than the Birds of Prey movies. So we'll just say it's an upgrade. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's King Shark. What stands out to me is the way he's using this movie. He's essentially just a shark hole. Yeah. That- Remember in the original one, they have Killer Croc. I think that at least with King Shark, he's there as a comedic element. Killer Croc was kind of a wasted character, I felt, in the first one. Killer Croc looks a certain way, even in the comics. But I mean, at least King Shark looks like a shark. I mean, <laughs> his look alone is kind of funny. Yeah. And then you got Sylvester Stallone kind of delivering one word answers, you know, very much in the vein of like, you know, Vin Diesel as Groot yeah. or something, kind of just having fun with the voice. But I don't know. I mean, to me, he seems like instead of Smash, it was Nom Nom. He was borderline indestructible, which I don't know why. I guess he's just a living creature. So I don't know why bullets don't go through his skin or anything. They just don't. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, once you accept that fact, I mean, fine. Who cares? He's a walking shark with arms. I thought Flag was fine. I liked the way they used him in the new one uh, a little bit more than the old one. In the old one, they were kind of hinting at some sort of relationship he had with the Enchantress, or at least the girl that was originally Moon or whatever her name was. I think it played really well here. I liked his character arc where he was actually willing to stand up and kind of do the right thing. He was one of the only people that had like a moral compass because even Amanda Waller as a character didn't necessarily have that. So when you're comparing those two characters, you know, same actor, I thought they did fine in the role. I liked the version of both of them, I think, in the new one. 
I think the advantage with Flag in The Suicide Squad is he has a history. He has a history with Quinn. He has a history with Captain Boomerang. He has a history with Bloodsport. That's important. We understand the dynamics and these interactions, and they come through better than in the first one, where literally he is just the stereotypical commando. And I like that. I think it gives him a little bit more character and it makes the climax of his arc in the Suicide Squad much more dramatic. It was one of the highlights Mm -hmm. of the movie, I felt. I would agree. That was well done. And then, yeah, as far as cast, there's a lot of other people. Boomerang, there's Pete Davidson, a lot of these guys. They're in there more so for name only. As far as cast goes, you look back, you got the Will Smith character, you have Killer Croc. Diablo. Yeah, it's really hard for me to pick which one was better. I think the second one personally is better. For one, I love John Cena as the Peacemaker, which is very different than the Peacemaker in the comics. He brings a great element to this kind of quirky dynamic that the Suicide Squad is anyway. The reason why I think James Gunn version is better is it's just bigger. We have more characters that we're exposed to. I think what's so clever about the Suicide Squad is we're taking all these minor, very obscure characters from the DC universe, and we're putting them together and playing with this formula. And they really lean into that. In the background, right, we see Calendar Man, we see Kaleidoscope, these really minuscule minor characters, but they're there, which is great fan service. And if you're playing with the supporting cast of supervillains, it's yeah. fun to see how far they're willing to go and who they're willing to wrangle in. And they do it great in this film. I do want to acknowledge while we're discussing the cast, in the first version, we have the Joker. And in this version, we have no Joker. Now, for whatever it's worth, that version of the Joker was widely criticized and ridiculed. People that weren't a fan. But I will say upon rewatching the 2016 version, Joker still scene stealer, man. Whenever he was on screen, his presence was known. You could not help but be intrigued by the Joker. Maybe to the film's detriment, he overshadowed some stuff because his storyline is somewhat secondary to the overall arc of the story. But I mean, I still think upon rewatching it, he works. I'm not as big a fan of the Leto version of the Joker, especially when you compare Leto in the Snyder Cut to Leto in the Suicide Squad. I thought that the Snyder Cut Leto was much more the creepy Joker character that we expected and didn't really get in this. However, in the defense of Jared Leto, because I've been talking smack about him for five years now, the disadvantage for the Joker in Suicide Squad is he leaves the movie halfway through. His arc is incomplete. When we learn more about the air cut, Batman was supposed to have a bigger role in the film and the Joker was supposed to have a bigger role in the film. Even in the concluding battle, the Joker was supposed to show up and be a part of it. Mm, And so without that Joker, we are missing a big chunk of who this character is and where he's going, which is why, in my opinion, I think some of Leto's performance suffered. It's just incomplete. Now, can I acknowledge something else I liked from the original that the new one doesn't really have other than its connections to the first film, this sense of place within the overall DCEU at the time of its release, which I believe is after Batman vs. Superman, but before Justice League, correct? Yes. Something I did enjoy upon rewatching now that I've seen the Snyder cut of Justice League is that the first Suicide Squad does feel like it has a place in the overall narrative and belongs. I liked the additions of Batman and the Joker and the idea of making this feel bigger than just this solo team-up film. And that was fun, um, especially going back. Yeah, I agree. I didn't realize it at the time when I saw it in theaters back in 2016, but upon rewatching it, I was like, I actually enjoyed those elements. Having Bruce Wayne, I think it's the end of Batman vs. Superman, where Waller shows up post-credits. They're connected, and it, it feels that way. It feels a little bit more like it has a place, where this one, the new one, feels a little bit more standalone. While that does have its own benefits because now it's not beholden 
to this extended universe that maybe isn't going anywhere. I kind of liked it. I agree. The first one, Zack Snyder was on board as a producer. This was supposed to play into the greater Snyderverse. I believe the original intent was the Suicide Squad was supposed to support the Justice League in their battle against Darkseid. Three movies down the line, which probably aren't going to get made now. No, it would have been cool though, to see it all kind of come together, coalesce in that way. So I just wanted to acknowledge that this one kind of is missing that out, maybe to its benefit. That extended universe really isn't going anywhere. Next, though, I want to talk a little bit about the visuals. So there's kind of a lot going on here. The grading, the effects haven't really changed much. It's only been like five years in between movies. They're playing with different color palettes. They're doing different effects type things. Well, obviously, The Suicide Squad is really the perfect film created for James Gunn to just inject his style. And bringing him on board as a director was a great move to really lean into what he does in terms of editing, the visual style of his films, the comedic timing. The look of the second one really looks much more of that action comedy Warner Brothers wanted out of the series. The first one, the grading is a little darker. It's much more of almost a Batman-inspired Dark Knight-type look with, with lots of blues and blacks. and Yeah, like when the fire comes out in the first one, it feels like a breath of color because yeah. it's so grim. And this one's in the jungle. It's on an island. They're on beaches. Like, it's, it's much lighter. In fact, there's sequences where the background is almost completely white during the rain battle at the end. Yeah, and then they're having fun with elements of, like... The title comes up, it comes up like behind the characters and they're doing this thing in this movie where they have like, you know how like sometimes a movie will say like three years later or whatever, you know, three days earlier. They're actually like James Gunn is placing those kind of within the context of the world, like on the beach, sticks will rearrange to say a message. There's writing on a toilet seat, but that's just for us. The characters don't see it, but they're kind of just having fun with the visuals in a neat way. It worked, kind of kept me engaged. I was always looking out for like, are they going to rearrange the clouds in the sky? Is there going to be something Mm -hmm. splattered in blood? Which there was. Uh, One of the characters gets his head blown off when he tries to escape. And then the blood coalesces in the water and it says like Warner Brothers present. I think they were having a little bit of fun with that. It was pretty cool. I did like the color palette of the new one better. It's brighter. It's more fun. It's lighter. I think it adds to the comedic elements that I think they were really trying to go for in this one. When it comes to the comedy, did you think the movie was funny? I thought the second one was funnier than the first one. The first one, at at times, I felt like they were trying too hard. The second one, some of the elements came together. Yeah, there were some great bits in the second one that I did enjoy the whole polka dot man and his mom backstory and how visually that plays out, how they kind of turn when you see things from his POV, everyone is his mom. I thought that worked visually. That was a lot of fun. That was a cool gag. I don't know. For me, the comedy didn't necessarily work for me. There was this overarching sense to me that they were doing a retread of just things that had done before, like witty banter. I was like, man, I mean, Josh Whedon has like done this. Guardians has done this. It felt like a retread. And sometimes it was predictable to me. Like I felt like some of the comedy, like a character would say a line and I'm like, I kind of know what somebody's going to say. I don't think that there was anything different than the comedic attempt in the first one. I think in some ways it was just executed a little better. I think the other big difference is Suicide Squad is a PG-13 movie and the Suicide Squad is rated R and it allowed them to lean into the action, the violence, and the gore much more than they would in the first one. And they do. I mean, we see people's heads get sliced off. We literally see people get ripped in half. A shark eats somebody. There's a lot of blood. People get shot. You think about some of the uh, effects that we get with like Starro at the end. It's pretty graphic. Even the idea of like these starfish like sticking to people's faces, pretty creepy. Yeah. 
But I don't know, like, in my opinion, when they go for the gore, you know, they shoot off like Pete Davidson's face and all this stuff. It was played for laughs. I just, I just didn't find it very funny. Like it was supposed to be like this, like surprise. And you're supposed to be like, Oh my God, that's crazy. But I was like, I don't know. His face just got blown off. Like, I just, I feel like you're trying really hard as a filmmaker. There is a certain element to, you know, that kind of morbid comedy where it's like, those are people. At least in the first one, they're fighting those clay men. They are still people and they're just being like blown up just for simply existing. I don't know. That to me was a little... I, I, I just didn't find the humor. Because, like, if you think about the new Suicide Squad, a lot of people die. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, Starro yeah. kills a ton of people. The Suicide Squad kills a ton of people. There's a lot of death in that movie. Like, King Shark, like, rips someone in half. But I'm kind of like, it didn't capture my heart. I wasn't like, oh, my God, I love this. I was like, I don't know. I'm not sure why this has to happen, but okay. (laughs) I think another movie that kind of does the rated R thing a little bit better is something like Deadpool. Mm -hmm. He's breaking the fourth wall, and he's kind of telling us these are bad guys. They're constantly having him personally get, like, his arms broken or his leg twisted around or something. I don't know. I'm I'm not a huge fan of that kind of, like, overly romanticized gore. It just feels like it doesn't carry the weight then well i think the other problem they run into is since there are members killed off in this film the audience is so desensitized to death throughout the movie that it actually takes some of the weight out of their deaths out the biggest one being like polka dot man which again is played for laughs at the end of the movie starro just steps on him and he's dead it was done for laughs it wasn't done for anything other than a cheap laugh and i i don't know i just didn't enjoy it Like he didn't have like his heroic moment or he didn't, they're like, oh, you know, hey, that's what you expect. So we're just going to go against those expectations and just have him step on him because he was going to die anyway. I feel like they go for those a couple of times, these kind of like cheap gag laughs. And it took me out of it more than made me laugh. Fair enough. You know, comedy was a big factor. The R rating, the color palettes, the cast. You want to talk about the story? Well, we have to talk about the story. And I think that's what we need to get now. It's, it's actually very weird how similar both stories are. The U.S. government is doing bad stuff, messes up. They have to send in the suicide squad to save their butts and make sure that, you know, their mistakes don't get out to the rest of the world. Amanda Waller is directly to blame in both. When we get there and the suicide squad is blown away that, in fact, Waller is behind this the whole time, they turn against her and do the quote unquote heroic thing to save the greater good. A very idea of the Suicide Squad existing in both movies. The whole comic premise basically says that the Suicide Squad are the right people for this mission because if they find out what the U.S. government did, we can just kill them. Where if we send in the Avengers and they find out, they're going to be like, well, what the hell? Justice League, you're crossing Marvel and DC right now. The Avengers would get it done. I don't know if Justice League, I don't know. Both films are very similar from the perspective of what they're about. When we get down to individual character arcs, I think it's interesting. Considering that Bloodsport and Deadshot are essentially identical characters with identical arcs, I actually think that the Idris Elbow arc works better. Obviously, he's looking for quote-unquote redemption. Mm -hmm. Waller talks about how she's going to turn Bloodsport into a leader. And at the end of the... And he's like, no, I do my own thing. I don't want to be part of this team. Yet at the end, as the leader of the team, he takes command, he embraces them, and he looks out for them. Deadshot is looking his own personal redemption and showing his daughter that he's a hero. It doesn't deliver in the same way as there's the scene at the end of the Suicide Squad where Bloodsport's daughter is watching him on TV and says, that's my dad. He is a hero. Yeah, I think that's a much more completed arc for the character. I mean, part of it is that they go back to the daughter. It's a scene that feels a little shoehorned. What if she just like hadn't been watching TV? 
in essence, you know, they have this kind of big blow up at the beginning where she says he's not much of, you know, he's an embarrassment as a dad. And they get into this huge argument. He's like, I don't have any good in me. But constantly people are trying to pull out that good. And he has his kind of heroic moment where he's going to leave. He's going to be selfish and just walk away and be like, not my problem. Like, and instead he, you know, turns around and is like, screw it. If they blow my head off with the little implant they put in me, then so be it. But we got to do the right thing at some point. Yeah, I think the payoff then is shown through his leadership at the end, because I think Waller makes a comment. She's like, I told you I would turn you into a leader with his daughter. And I don't think that you get payoff for Deadshot's character. We just you just kind of see it. And you're like, I don't know. It's all right. He just decides he's going to take the heroic route, but we don't really know why. This character who talks about how he doesn't have sympathy, how he's able to murder all these people and sleep well at night because he doesn't have a heart, suddenly has this mysterious change and is worried about the rest of the world. I just don't think it's as powerful. I also think it, an important thing that James Gunn does is, uh, we already talked about changing Flag's character a little bit more. He's not just the soldier. He is the soldier with a conscience and he's looking right. at what are the, the implications of his action. I think that's much more important towards his arc. But I like the idea idea of King Shark and Ratcaller. Okay. They're softer characters than we have in the first Suicide Squad. Obviously, Diablo is trying to be there as this kind of moral character with a heart who's burdened by his actions of his past. But Ratcaller and King Shark are much softer. King Shark's there for comedy, but Ratcaller, her job is there is to bring humanity to the team. She brings humanity yeah. to the situations. She has the conscience. She is sympathetic, right? She's this person who her superpower is controlling rats because <laughs> she has a feeling for them. And she understands that even the smallest things still can you know, have a purpose. And I yeah. think that's very important. And when she plays out with Peacemaker, with Bloodsport, with Flag, she forces them to face an element of humanity that the original Suicide Squad doesn't have to deal with. Yeah, I think you're right. She's the character that literally Peacemaker is like, well, this is what I was told to do. Well, she's like, but you don't have to. Yeah, she foils everyone on the team for the most part. Yeah, so she's that person that needs to be there to be like, hey, I mean, those are the orders or this is what you selfishly want, but you can choose to do something else. You don't have to do this. She also has faith and sees the good in every one of those characters, which is important because again, most of the the other Suicide Squad characters in the second one and in the first one believe that they are broken and beyond redemption. You know, now that you bring that up, something I wanted to talk about, and this isn't a direct comparison between the Suicide Squad movies, but James Gunn movies. In the Suicide Squad, what James Gunn is trying to do is bring an element of the original Guardians of the Galaxy to the Suicide Squad, which is these are villains without friends. And I think <laughs> in Guardians of the Galaxy, they say they're losers without a family. Guardians works better because all the characters kind of play into this overall narrative not having a family pays off, right? Star-Lord lost his mom when he was a kid and was abducted by Ravagers and he doesn't see them as family. Gamora's family is Thanos and she hates her father. She was taken, we don't know that at the time, but she was taken as a child. You know, Drax, his family had been murdered. You know, Rocket was experimented on and his only family is basically Groot, who for most of the movie, he won't acknowledge that way. The way the movie plays out, Groot sacrifices himself for the overall team and Rocket is devastated. You know, Drax is absolutely kind of distraught and has this rage about his family having been taken from him. And then you have Gamora and Star-Lord who end up kind of forming a romantic chemistry. It really coalesces when they come together 
you know, for all these characters, this is the family that they don't have. Mm. And in this movie, villains without friends, you know, at the end, like, you know, Harley's like, I'll be your friend. It doesn't hit home the same for me. It just, they tried to do it again. I love what you said, like Rat Collar and King Shark. She's kind of doing something there that I think works, but this overall unifying the team, I, didn't, I just didn't, didn't get that vibe. I didn't well, think it worked as well. And I think part of it is the nature of these characters, right? For the most part, the Guardians are petty thieves type characters. Yeah, they're like oafs. Whereas the Suicide Squad, they go to great lengths to paint them as these sociopathic serial killers and how horrible they all are. You're going to need a lot more than one movie for them to be redeemable and for them to grow and learn to start caring about and accepting other people, right? Like that's just... That's yeah. that's too far for anyone to rock, walk in two hours. Well, and I mean, in all fairness, right, as far as Harley Quinn's concerned, she's had a couple movies. She does come around to the idea of like, oh, you know, I'll be your friend. Part of it, like the way the movie plays her character is I, I can't trust her. I don't know how genuine she is. Earlier in the movie, some guy shows interest in her and they end up having sex. And then like immediately afterwards, she shoots him. I don't know, because yeah, she's she was kind like, of unreliable. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you're saying that until this guy does something you don't like and then you'll just like kill him i don't know i didn't see like a whole lot of you know kind of like i guess sacrifice for your friends again the only time you really see it is between Bloodsport and rat collar they both make the promise that he says i'll get you out of here alive and she says no i'm gonna get you out of here alive before the completion of the final battle they both save each other's life again and i think part of it is because of the foil of their characters we can see that growth and that's you don't get it from anyone else Right. You don't get it from anyone else. Like even when they're, they're like, you know, quote unquote, the suicide squad, a team, even when they're all running from something, you're basically in my mind, I'm thinking like, I don't know which one of them is going to die a gruesome death. It just feels like they're all running in the same direction, but that they're not necessarily all together. I mean, case in point, look at the first battle when they storm the beach, right? They're all in it for themselves. And that's why some of them die and some of them live. There's no cohesiveness. There's no sacrifice. And maybe James Gunn did that intentionally to illustrate that version of the Suicide Squad to the version of the Suicide Squad that we have in in the final battle. Because I look back at the first Suicide Squad. I mean, I don't get that vibe either. They still seem somewhat selfish. I mean, they come together at the end an acknowledgement that they should do something. But even that, like you said, you know, it, they are villains. So it's hard to redeem their characters in less than two hours. And it just feels very forced in the first one, right? They're there and essentially they're like, well, we're all in this together. So we might as well stick it out. And even though once they complete the objective, then they're like, well, you know, we really should go down and take on this super powerful witch and her super powerful brother who are opening portals to another dimension. Like let's, let's hell, like we got another better. And I just think that's kind of, out of character and, and unearned in the story. That's the difference in both the Suicide Squads. You know, they're attempting maybe to do something, but it doesn't quite feel earned the way it does in something maybe more like Guardians of the Galaxy. That resonates with fans. I think, I think the Suicide Squad needs the death of Coulson moment. Yeah, they Watch need Avengers. something to come together around. Yeah, right. And they have that. They have this. We were individuals and now we are rallied in the same mission. And that never happens in either of the two Suicide Squad films. Yeah, and even like the new Suicide Squad, like literally when part of the squad gets killed, they're pretty dismissive. of. They're like, oh, I guess he's gone. You know, another one of us dead. Very rarely are they like moved by a death or anything. Like I think the movie hits at home when Milton dies. Right? (laughs) They're they're like, who's Milton? And it's played for laughs. Again, I really didn't find that gag funny per se. 
she's like, who's Milton? And I was like, I know what you guys are going for, but you're playing it out way too long. Yeah, it doesn't need to be a five-minute scene. Yeah, it could have been like one line. One line is good enough. funny. Yeah, I was like, you're really dragging this out. But they're hitting home. Everybody was expendable and that they're really not like friends, which was weird because it would have been almost better if Milton had died and it had moved some of them. You know, where you have this guy who's not a villain, who's not, he just kind of like was with the group the whole time, but he kind of endeared himself to these villains. And then he passes and maybe they're like, we're kind of sad about this. Like Milton was cool. One of the problems I had with the Suicide Squad is they kill off a lot of members of the Suicide Squad. We already talked about this, but the problem is none of them die in sacrifice. At least in in the first Suicide Squad, when Diablo dies, he is dying as an act of sacrifice for the rest of the team and for the mission. Yeah. And I think that's a stark contrast. His death means something. Whereas the other ones seem to just die out of comedy. Yeah, right? Like for a laugh. I don't know. Like even, you know, the movie itself made me think like Harley Quinn could die, which maybe that's what they were going for is just like anybody could die. But if she did die... To be honest, I don't think I'd care. And I think the other, and when <laughs> like, I, put I like, maybe that hits home the Suicide Squad, both of them in general, is like if they died, I don't know that I care all that much. Well, and you bring up a good point. And when I put on my producer's cap, it blows my mind because I'm like, why are you just going to be wasting characters that you've invested in, great actors and playing, when you have the opportunity to bring them back? Like, why kill them off? Yeah, I don't know. And I, like you said, I, I think there was this element of like, if we make anybody expendable, then it feels like anybody could go. But the problem was he didn't make me care enough about any of them to make me really care if they went. Again, I keep comparing it to uh, Guardians because it's this team coming together, whatever. But like when Groot goes, it's set. You're like, no. And he's, this is the right thing to do. And and I'm going to do it. Yeah. And in this, you just don't get a moment like that. I think Milton, if the character had been done right, could have been this guy who's like not a villain. He's just their driver. But imagine him like having fun driving and doing all this stuff. And then like you get to this spot and Milton dies and they're all like, are you kidding me? And they have this self-realization that they actually do kind of care about each other. Maybe up to that point, it was superficial and they're joking around. And then you realize, like, we really do care. After all that we've been through together, you're like, I do care if you die. I don't want you to die. Mm -hmm. But I never get that from them. I never get that from the story. So it just feels like, like I said, like Polka Dot Man, like, sums it up. He just gets stepped on and they're kind of like, oh, well. There, there goes another one. Well, and I and I think that the scene where they go to the bar, I think that Gunn was trying to show this camaraderie between the team, but it doesn't play out. And part of it is because it's not like they're all there socializing, getting together. Like, in fact, the bar scene in the first Suicide Squad is a much stronger come together yeah. as a team moment. They all, un- they, they take off their armor, they show who they are, they show their vulnerability, and they make the agreement, like, we're going to stick this through to the end. The right. second I one- that's way more powerful. Exactly. And in the second one, Gunn's like, like, hey, let's get them together and we'll do, oh, no, we won't. Instead, they'll go off and drink together or, or drink by themselves and, and dance alone. It doesn't have that moment that I think that that scene was supposed to bring, which yeah, is, hey, were, we're coming together as a team. Yeah, there were elements, even there, like you have Bloodsport sitting at the bar by himself, kind of keeping an eye out. You have Polka Dot Man dancing over here. You have King Shark's in the freaking van. He's not even yeah. out there. I, I don't know. Carly Quinn, they hadn't met up with her yet. She's not even there. So this isn't even like a come together like he's it's being played that way but it didn't come off that way i don't think it worked the way they were they they were going for but something else i wanted to ask you about before we kind of wrap it up on the story is the villains 
Okay. I think you have the Enchantress in the original Suicide Squad and you have Sorrow the Conqueror in the new one. What's interesting to me is they they both seem to be somewhat motiveless villains in terms of they just want something to like <laughs> conquer, you know, like uh, yeah. want to take over. I didn't find either to be particularly thrilling, although I will have to give the nod to Starro here because at least it was creative. You know, obviously he's a comic book character. He wasn't made for this movie, but he was different. It was creepy. It was kind of fun. I think that played a little better. And then it's worth acknowledging that I think the true villain, ironically, the US government, like Amanda Waller. But that's the same in both movies. Like you said, they actually play out pretty similar. So I wanted to get your thoughts. What are your thoughts on the villains? Because this was this was a real drag on the first one. I think that Enchantress is a more compelling character. There's more going on there, and especially the fact that she has this dynamic already with the Suicide Squad. Now, the problem Mm -hmm. is they don't lean into that as part of telling the story. Yeah. Because of that, she seems very one-dimensional. I think that that is an element, and maybe in the air cut, they explore it, worth exploring and really stretching out. So then we see who this villain is and, and what drives her and her relationship with Flag and all these things that they kind of just brush right over. I think Star was an interesting choice. He's actually, if I recall correctly, first character that the uh, villain that the Justice League teams up to fight. I think you're right. Like back in yeah. the, back in like the 50s or the 60s. And he's kind of like obscure and it's almost funny, but at the same time, the way that he is created in the comic books is he's so powerful that he is a force to be reckoned with. I also think it's interesting in the sense that he's a unique enough character and unpredictable enough that when you have five people on the ground fighting him, you're like, it, it's overwhelming. You're like, I don't know how they're going to beat this giant dude. Yeah. Versus the Enchantress, she has an army of blob men that are kind of the worst like zombie army. Um, her vote motivation's not clear. She has this brother character who's super powerful. And again, we really don't know what drives him. Uh, the Starro character, we understand what he does and how he does it. So I'm with you. Starro does it better than Enchantress. But I mean, Starro's still to a certain extent, you know, he's kind of just like big monster. I think they even make fun of it in the new one where someone says like, it's a, what is it? Like a hijou? Kaiju. Kaiju. And I think from a story perspective, I was clever and it's like, how are you going to beat this gigantic, massive starfish? Uh, you're going to get an army of the smallest rats you possibly can. And that's going to be the difference maker. Again, you're you're using the tools that you have by the characters that you have. And I thought it was an interesting approach to meeting instead of the Power Rangers model of like just team up and yeah. make a, a megazord to, to take them on. You know, I thought that was an interesting approach. Yeah, he's still a character, though, to me, like he's kind of like motiveless. They call him Starro the Conqueror, but like, I don't really know why he's conquering anything. Well, and I, I thought it was weird too when he, before he dies, he says that line about, I was happy just laying in space and staring at the stars. And my understanding of Starro, that's never how he was in the comic book. He always seemed very determined to, to conquer the world. So I thought that was a, I guess it's to add some sympathy or, or depth to the character. But again, I mean, it's a giant starfish, like spoiler, who spews little starfish to make an army of drones. That's pretty similar to Enchantress. Both of of them they just they were not strong villains to me the way they were portrayed just you know oh, i want to take over the world very stock yeah just kind of like we need a bad guy you know and and they never really dove into like who starro was or why does he take over worlds or anything of that nature he i mean other than like you said sending out smaller starfish to like give himself like his own like drone army essentially like he's just like a big monster he just like knocks buildings over but like he doesn't do a whole lot so he was more fun i think like visually appealing because enchantress was just kind of like cloaked in like black smoke (laughs) you know like that type stuff i was like i don't know that's not very interesting to watch 
you want to have villains who are foils to your heroes, but villains who can be defeated nonetheless, not by the hero alone. The hero is the person who's empowered to do it in this moment. But like Starro is kind of a good example of the rats like come and run him over. But you kind of think like, what if she had died? What if she just wasn't there? No, you bring up a good point. Like, yeah. is that the only way? Like the perfect foil the to the Suicide Squad needs to be someone more like Thanos, disciplined, vision driven and motivated. So then all these apathetical, like, I'm just here. So I got nothing better to do. Characters actually have to line up against something that is their opposite. Neither of those villains shape out that way. Because both are truly introduced in their physical form at the ends of the movies. And we haven't had this kind of back and forth with them throughout the movie. It feels like a formality that they're going to figure out how to beat him because they don't have any motives. It doesn't, the emotional weight, you know, of seeing Starro defeated, you're not like, yes, which is what you want. No, I agree. I'm going to ask you the question now. James Gunn, David Ayer, if you had to pick to watch one again, which one are you going with? The Ayer cut. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was going to be my answer. (laughs) You know... I'd ha- I think I have to give the nod to the second one. And it's more so just because I found it to be a little bit more fun. When I look at the movies, James Gunn has done it better with Guardians. And it, it wasn't as easy of a decision as I thought it was going to be. Hopes were super high when the first Suicide Squad came out and I was let down. So my opinion of the first one was actually pretty low. I had reserved hopes for this one, knowing that James Gunn was stepping in here. DC was kind of giving him a little, you know, a little boost after what had happened from his past and getting fired from Marvel, that whole thing. So I thought he might be able to really bring his A game to show what he can do. But I wasn't as impressed as I had hoped to be. I think I would just give it the nod simply because, like you said, I think the cast is slightly superior and I think the movie's more fun. That's really it. If I had to give a nod to the other one, I really like its place in the DCEU. They do a couple things. I Like you said, I think they come together as a team better. I like the sacrifice in the first one better. But I will another nod I wanted to give really quick before we head out is I think the second one also does a better job of having the characters use their inherent abilities. The first one, I think there's a lot more of just like gunfiring and punching, which isn't as exciting. That's why when whatever he makes his sacrifice, Diablo, Diablo it feels like it carries weight not only emotionally but physically because he's actually using some sort of powers a lot of the characters they you know you always want to see a scene like in captain america civil war when they're at the airport everybody's fighting they're all using their unique abilities to try to counter everybody else's unique abilities and in the first one i felt like the fighting style just didn't it didn't do a lot for me they were just punching fair enough i would agree I'd go with the second one. And I think part of it is because DC apparently envisioned the original Suicide Squad as this James Gunn style comedy action quirkiness. And that's what they they got when they brought James Gunn on. They got exactly what they were planning for. I think the other advantage is unlike earlier films in the DCU, it seems like Warner Brother was very content to let him make the movie he wanted to make. They didn't treat Snyder that way. They didn't treat Ayer that way. We see the results. I think when you let these directors execute their vision, you get a better quality product than when you try and go in there and cut it up and and change it into something else. I'm really excited and I really hope we do get the air cut because if it's even a, you know, in any way similar to what we got with the Snyder cut, it's going to really be this transformative experience. And I'm with you. I was really curious to see where they were going, bringing all these pieces together and assembling their universe. Just so our listeners know, there will be a movie remake time where we take a look 
look at the theatrical Justice League versus the Snyder Cut. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Like four hour episode. <laughs> yeah, we'll get some, you know, we'll have some breaks. We'll do the whole thing. It'll be great. Let us know who you think did it better. Hopefully you guys got a chance to check it out. It's on HBO Max. You can watch it if you have HBO Max for free. Or you can go to the theater if you want to head out and enjoy it on the big screen. Thank you everyone for tuning in. We really appreciate you guys listening to the show. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and be sure to keep it going on social media, on our YouTube channel, where you can uh, subscribe and follow along, help us rank a little bit higher. You can also go to Google and you can type in Filmmakers Compass Podcast. It'll pull up our website, has links to everything you need on there. Other than that, you can follow me at BigKidDman and CP at NDCal5. CP? Thanks for sticking around and listening to us this week. We hope that you enjoyed the movies and be sure to tune in next week when we're back for another comparison of movie remake time. See you next week.